and welcome to the very first episode of AI, a new podcast from Voice First FM. The intent of this podcast is to examine all issues and all angles on the emerging sector of artificial intelligence. And our very first guest, we are thrilled to have Joshua Montgomery, CEO and co-founder of Mycroft AI. Joshua, say hello. Hello. It's great to meet everyone. I'm glad to be here. Thank you very much for setting this time aside. Um, what you guys are doing is very, very interesting. Since this is the very first episode of this new show, I want to start with sim just very simply the question of what is artificial intelligence? Artificial intelligence is technology that uses machines and machines learning to create software and experiences that improve over time based on user feedback and data. That's a long explanation, but that's the current definition, I would argue, of artificial intelligence. It, it uses a computer system and it gets better over time by using data and user feedback. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't think that was that long. That's extremely succinct. Um, uh, my next question, of course, is what is Mycroft AI? What are you guys trying to do? Here at Mycroft, we've built an open source community that is pursuing the goal of building an AI or an intelligent agent that runs anywhere and interacts exactly like a person. Our concept as a company is to build uh, an experience for users that when they speak to the technology, they can't tell whether or not they're speaking to a person or a computer. How many, how many users are using your software right now? Do you have a rough estimate for us? Uh, sure. It's about 7,500 users are using the software in one way or another. Um, hmm. Of those, uh, 1,431 are developers that are contributing in some way, shape, or form. And that community is growing at around 5% week over week. That's pretty significant. Uh, that's, that's great. Where did the name Mycroft come from? So in 1963, Robert Heinlein, uh, who's sometimes called the Dean of Science Fiction, uh, wrote a book called The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. And the book was full of a bunch of, of fairly new ideas. Um, you know, from that book really comes the concept of uh, uh, CGI, so computer-generated images, um, with the AI in the book uh, taking the appearance of a human by rendering itself as a, a model in a, in a video phone. Um, from that book comes the concept of cyber warfare, uh, the idea that you can use computer systems that are connected to IoT, which in, in the case of the book is uh, atmosphere systems, lights, and uh, uh, municipal uh, services like sewers and electricity uh, as a form of warfare in order in taking over somebody's home or taking over their their uh, services using a computer system in order to advance a political goal. Um, and then uh, also comes the concept of artificial intelligence as an algamation of skills or abilities, uh, meaning that the the AI in the book comes into existence because it has a long list of skills and a long list of equipment that's connected to. And over time, as more skills and equipment are added, the technology appears to uh, the protagonist in the book as uh, 
a person or as a, an artificial entity. Um, and then finally, the AI in that book, it, it's one of the few cases, I think, in early science fiction or in, in modern science fiction where instead of, you know, the Mary Shelley Frankenstein uh, image of the technology coming back to bite its creator, that the AI really plays the role of a protagonist as a positive force within the, within the novel. And, and in that novel, the AI is named Mycroft or Mike. Uh, so we named our technology after Mycroft uh, because we wanted to really honor Robert Heinlein's contribute, contributions to the concepts that really underpin our approach to artificial intelligence. Fascinating. So I can tell you've never explained that before. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we have a whole blog post. Actually, if you if you look at our, we just revised our logos a couple of months ago. Our Our new logo is actually... Uh, shows a, a circle in the center with half of it dark and half of it light representing the earth um, with a dot over the top of it, which represents the moon. And in a lot of the am animations, we're circling the dot around the, the globe. Um, it really encompasses our, our, the story of our, our name and the, the, the ideas that we're pursuing. Very interesting. So your company started with a Kickstarter, is that right? A couple of years ago? Yeah, we we were building this technology as an open source project, and as part of the project, we were using Raspberry Pis uh, as our development platform. And so everybody working on the project had a Raspberry Pi on their desk, but then, of course, they also had a pair of speakers that were plugged into it and plugged into a wall wart, and then a microphone, and then a USB cable, and then a microphone, or a, a, a keyboard, and a monitor, and a power strip. And, you know, this giant Medusa nest of cables. Um, so, uh, you know, we built this inside a makerspace. So I went back to the makerspace and used the 3D printer to print up a kind of an oversized hockey puck um, enclosure so that we could shove all this stuff into an enclosure. And, you know, we, we looked at that and scratched our heads and said, I wonder if anybody wants to buy it. And this, in many ways, predates the public awareness of Echo. Like we, at the time, we weren't aware that Echo even existed. And uh, and so we took it to, to Kickstarter and ended up doing quite well, uh, running the largest Kickstarter ever to come out of our state. I saw that. Yeah, extremely impressive. And so is the economics of Mycroft AI uh, just that it's community funded? Because I saw you can still fund it as a community member through your site. Or where, where does the money come from uh, for what you're doing? The initial development is being backed uh, by the venture community. Okay. Uh, so we've, we've got backing from social starts here in Silicon Valley, uh, from deep space ventures in Dallas, um, from the crowdfunder VC index fund down in Los Angeles, as well as a, a host of angels that are interested in the technology, um, in some cases so they can bring it into their own companies, uh, in other cases as a commercial opportunity. Um, so that's what's really funding the, the development and the support that we're providing to the community. Um, the long term, you know, our role in, in this new AI world is to allow everybody who isn't Apple and Amazon and Google and Baidu and Microsoft uh, to deploy intelligent agents uh, within their products and services um, using an open source stack. And we provide enterprise software to allow them to do that at scale. And so our concept is, you know, if you're a single developer or a single household or family, 
uh, and you want to deploy the technology, you can use our speech-to-text backend and our, our API aggregation um, and just uh, you know create an account and go. Like it, it'll give you weather data, it gives you access to Wolfram and Wikipedia and a host of other other data sources, and that doesn't cost you anything. Uh, but if you're a big company, um, let's say uh, a major retailer based in Bentonville, um, we, <laughs> we obviously would, would pass across a, a bill every month for the tools that are required to deploy it across hundreds of thousands or millions of users. So on This Week in Voice this week, uh, we were discussing uh, Amazon's new SDK that they just released, um, which I'm, I'm sure you probably saw just in the last 24 hours or so. Do you, and Mycroft AI, do you, do you view Amazon as a competitor or do you view them as just another participant in this massive space? How do you look at what they're doing specifically? I think the reality of, of Amazon's position within the market is that it doesn't matter what business you're in, Amazon is a competitor. Mm. You know, this is a company that started off selling books and, you know, has now launched a, a technology company called, uh, uh, that, that is doing uh, space launch services, mm. right? I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a long journey from, you know, I'm selling you science fiction novels to I'm selling you rocket ships, right? So I'm writing the um, science fiction novel. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and so, you know, my argument would be not only do we compete with Amazon, but if you're in business, you compete with Amazon in some way, shape or form. And as a result, you know, leaders within industry that are capable of strategic thinking, and there's a lot of them that aren't, but there are a lot that are, uh, would would be very wise to think twice about sending every consumer interaction that's being conducted on, on your product or service through our friends at Amazon. Uh, you know, I, I know that, that, you know, on the, the first day of the deployment of the internet, the publishing industry saw it as a better way to distribute their news. Um, but by partnering with, you know, large Silicon Valley companies and by making their content easy to search and giving their content away for free, you know, the, the local newspaper industry, for example, has decimated itself. Um, so you'd be very wise to think twice about fully embracing the Silicon Valley giants. Um, we view Amazon's role in this market as really a leader that's building fantastic technology that a lot of people are adopting. And, and we think that they're going to be very, very successful. But there's a whole host of companies out there for whatever strategic reason want to be able to deploy voice technologies on their premises uh, within their security perimeter in ways that allow them to be independent of the Silicon Valley giants, to have data independence, um, to maintain the security of their information and to keep their customer relations uh, private. And, uh, and for those customers, you know, we are able to provide a solution that does that. Um, which really makes us unique. Um, all of the other technologies in the space um, send all of the customer data and all the queries to uh, an online service where when you read the privacy policies and the privacy statements, there are significant challenges uh, surrounding both consumer privacy and then, of course, uh, 
competitive and corporate secrets. Interesting. Um, do you own Neko at your house? Uh, yeah. So we, I mean, we do we do our homework. So we have um, we have voice assistants from all over the world. I'm actually looking at a box that contains a Ling Long Ding Dong <laughs> from uh, JD.com and okay. in, in China. Um, you know, we, we evaluate all these systems and, and in some cases, um, you know, we learn from them. In some cases, uh, you know, we, they're potential partners, you know, it, it, we, we're very careful to keep up on, on uh, progress within the marketplace. So recently, and I'm sure you saw this, uh, Elon Musk and uh, Mark Zuckerberg sort of got, got into it uh, publicly over the uh, subject of artificial intelligence, Elon Musk saying, um, I'm afraid of it. Mark Zuckerberg saying, eh, you're being dramatic. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. And Elon Musk then coming back saying, you don't have any idea what you're talking about. I, I'm intrigued with your background specifically. You're a successful entrepreneur, uh, but you've also been in the military eight years in the National Guard, if I read correctly. Um, and I'm, I'm just sort of in, interested in your perspective. Uh, should we be afraid of artificial intelligence? And if so, how afraid should we be? Uh, so I'll, I'll start with the with the disagreement between Elon and Mark. Um, you know, media in general thrives on controversy. And in that case, my read on the situation is that the various media outlets involved are trying to gin up a, a controversy that really doesn't exist. Sure. Um, and so, um, uh, but in terms of whether or not artificial intelligence is an existential threat, um, I would argue that artificial intelligence in the hand of the hands of the few is an existential threat to um, certainly to the economy and through the economy, um, you know, I would say it, it, yeah, it's an existential threat to the safety and security of everybody here on the planet. Um, and let me kind of flesh that statement out a little bit. Sure. Uh, you know, as we move forward, these artificial intelligent agents that we're building are going to be able to, and in some cases are already able to, uh, significantly change the way that humans work. Um, and so as, as a great example, we come up through the Sprint Accelerator and through our friends at Sprint, we learned that right around 90% of their call volume in their call centers consists of 25 questions. And to build an artificial intelligence that's capable of in a very natural way uh, answering 25 questions borders on trivial. And Sprint employs something like 27,000 call center workers uh, to meet that that call demand. And so if you deploy an artificial intelligent agent into Sprint, for example, um, you run the risk of putting, you know, tens of thousands of people out of work and replacing them with a simple machine learning stack. The danger becomes if the people who own that technology, if it's four guys or five guys or 50 guys in Silicon Valley, um, and none of the ownership of the improvements to technology flow through to the people whose jobs have been replaced. You know, we're on the border, we're on the cusp of a future where artificial intelligence can really make repetitive and drudgery, repetitive work and drudgery obsolete. 
that pretty much any task that's repetitive can be performed by a robot or by an artificial intelligence. And in a world where anybody can deploy a hundred intelligent agents to go solve a repetitive task, you cre you really create the potential for a utopia. I mean, how how awesome would it be for you, uh, you know, at your at your podcast to be able to have a hundred agents to help you to find stories and to help you to write stories and conduct interviews? And oh, I put them to work. work. Oh, yeah, it'd be beautiful. It'd be beautiful, and it would allow you to create so much more. Um, but if all of those agents are owned by five guys, then all of the wealth that that creates flows to those five people. Um, hmm. It's our view that the real danger with artificial intelligence is that the ownership of the technology is concentrated, not so much that the technology itself is a threat. And it's one of the reasons that we're focused on, and I know Elon is also focused on, opening these technologies and making them available to everybody. Um, because it really does mean that people can work less at repetitive tasks that are drudgerous and work more on creative tasks and communicative tasks. And depending on how we handle that transition, we really have the potential to make everybody's lives much higher quality. And I'll take this back to the call center example. You know, in that call center example, can you imagine sitting in a call center and answering the same 25 questions all day, every day, 40 hours a week? I mean, <laughs> what a terrible, <laughs> terrible job, right? Sure. But it's that one out of 10 questions that comes through where you can really add value for the customer, where you're able to build a relationship with the customer, where you're able to help that customer solve a problem that the automated systems weren't capable of. That's the question that really for me at least, if I'm working in a call center, it adds value to my day and makes me feel as though I'm contributing to the mission of the company I work for. And so, you know, that's what artificial intelligence can create, a world where everybody who's going to work is fulfilling the, uh, uh, fulfilling, you know, living to their fullest as a human being and being creative and collaborative uh, and not doing the same thing over and over and over again. And so, I'm very hopeful about the future of AI, but I certainly see that there's danger. And the danger is that Facebook, you know, Apple, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Baidu, and a handful of other country, companies own all of this technology outright, and everyone else is left, um, you know, as a consumer and not a creator. No, that's fascinating. Yeah, and I uh, completely agree with you. I think the reason why voice technology has advanced to this point where it is right now, which is literally on the precipice, probably over the precipice of public acceptance, is that uh, the tech juggernaut most associated with um, trust um, and customer service, which is Amazon, has been the one leading the way. Um, if it had been... Um, you know, I, I'm not sure even Google could have done it, but, you know, if it had been Microsoft or Apple, I think it it would have taken far more marketing dollars, far more effort uh, than what Amazon's been able to do in leading the marketplace. So, yeah, it's fascinating. I, I agree with you. I think um, uh, disseminating um, the technology is a good check against abuse, um, and uh, you articulated that uh, really well. So paint a picture for me, Joshua. Um, five years from now, 
if I look in a kitchen um, in a median household in the United States, am I seeing zero voice assistance, uh, zero pieces of hardware that are voice driven? Am I seeing one or am I seeing all of them? Uh, as to whether or not there are microphones on every device, I really can't answer the question. There very well might be. Um, I think that what you do see is at least one. Um, and possibly you see those devices working together in an intelligent way. Uh, I think that, that it may continue to be a complex situation where, for example, let's take your kitchen, your kitchen is an example. Um, you know, as long as you have an Apple refrigerator and an Apple blender and an Apple HomePod and an Apple phone and an iMac, like the experience will be very well tightly integrated and Siri will help you, you know, figure out whether or not you need to order eggs. Um, you know, I think that a vast majority of homes will have some kind of a mixed environment where they, they will have a voice assistant of some kind uh, and that voice assistant will be able to access services in their various different appliances and access their various different screens. Um, right now, there's a big effort being made by all of the major ecosystems to build these walled gardens where their voice assistant, you know, yes, it can access Philip Hue and yes, it can access Wemo, but, but really it's designed in, in, for example, Google's case, to work with their Pixel line of phones and to work with their Google Home device and to work with their Chromecast on the screen and and really doesn't play nicely with the other ecosystems. Um, certainly that is the case um, at Amazon with the Fire Stick and the tablets and the Alexa services. Um, you know, our hope would be that there's room in there for a neutral party that doesn't really, you know, I'm not Unlike our friends in, in Seattle, I'm not trying to sell you retail products. You know, unlike our friends out in Mountain View, I'm, I'm not trying to uh, provide a discovery service so that you can find other websites and I can sell you advertising. Unlike our friends at Cupertino, I'm not trying to sell you beautiful, highly priced electronics. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the, the concept would be that I'm trying to provide you with the best voice experience possible and work across those ecosystems. As to whether or not those vendors will allow that and facilitate that, I, I don't think that they're going to facilitate it. Um, they may allow it, um, and consumers may demand it. Uh, well, I certainly think companies and other organizations might demand it. Uh, to me, that's that's quite possibly your bread and butter is for your you you. You go into somebody's office and paint the picture that you described earlier in this podcast of you don't want to be given your information. Uh, and every single query that every single employee every single day has to say over to Amazon or, or Google or whoever, um, you would get some business out of that. I, that's uh, to me that's uh, extremely logical. But on an individual basis, it could make sense too. I, I think what you're doing is is brilliant. Well, thank you very much. We're we're really excited, and by the end of the year, in English at least, um, we'll have the technology stack working to the point where you can run it very reliably. Uh, completely independent of the internet. So being able to run the entire experience, including STT on site. Now, the speech to text component takes a little bit more processing power than is available in a Raspberry Pi, clearly. Um, but with a 
maybe a separate STT device that's got a little bit more juice in it, um, you'll be able to run independent of the internet. And I know that there's a, a really broad swath of, of both companies and people that, that really want to maintain uh, data independence. Uh, and, and the hope would be that, you know, the, the place where we would really like to be in five years is in a situation where the open alternative, whether it's us or maybe somebody else builds an open stack that's successful and we, we wish those folks luck, um, provides an agent that acts as an agent on behalf of the user and not an agent that has an ulterior motive on behalf of some service provider. So the example I always use is, you know, if you're using an agent that represents a service provider and the phone rings at 10 p.m. and your agent answers, the call I want to go through is the call coming from my mom saying my dad's not doing well. The call the company wants to go through is the call where the the um, telemarketer paid him $5 to get through <laughs> my filter, right? And the question becomes is, is in a world where you're, you're – intelligent agent starts managing a lot more of your life, whether it's your email, your text messages, your social media presence, your incoming and outgoing phone calls, your media consumption. Um, who do you want that agent to be accountable to? And right now we're in the danger of building a world where there's like five or six companies that, that those agents are accountable to and they're, they have zero accountability to the public at all, none. And, and that's, a real, that's a real challenge and, and it's the challenge that we're hoping to address. Fascinating. Well, uh, I certainly appreciate you setting your time aside, Joshua, to share your insight and expertise with us. Let me ask you a question uh, before we go. Uh, are you a Jayhawks fan? Absolutely. I'm, I'm Lawrence native. I grew up, went to Lawrence High School, went to the University of Kansas, started two businesses in Lawrence. Um, I, I, um, I can't speak highly enough of KU. Nice. Yeah, it's a gorgeous campus. Uh, been there once. Uh, you guys going to be good in basketball this year? Always. That's, I like that's the answer what, to that's going to be no. That's <laughs> yeah. That's we, we shine at basketball. Uh, we might not be the best at evolution in Kansas, but we, we shine at basketball. <laughs> um, if someone has heard this podcast and they want to reach out to you, um, what is the best way to do that? Uh, is there a form on your website or uh, an email address? What's the best way to reach you? Sure. Um, you can send an uh, email to founders at mycroft.ai, and that will reach us. Um, we also have a very active user community in Mattermost and uh, via our developer forums. Uh, so folks who are interested should absolutely reach out. Um, Today, we're very interested in speaking to developers who are looking to build skills on the platform or who might have a need to improve the state of speech synthesis or speech recognition. And then, of course, we're looking for corporate partners for proof of concept uh, deployments. Uh, we're already working with a number of big brands, including Jaguar Land Rover, uh, but we'd, we'd love to have the opportunity to work with others. Excellent. Joshua, thank you very, very much uh, for being so generous with your time. For the very first episode of AI on Voice First FM, thank you for listening, and until next time.